Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of November 17th, 2020. And this is officially episode number 458. And this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons. And we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at paranormalking.com. And if you're not here, well, you can't hear me anyway, unless you're listening to an archive of the show, which... I thank you for doing that as well, but we enjoy having you all cuddle up nice and warm here in the chat room with us at ParanormalKing.com, hanging out and uh, staying warm. I don't know about you, but uh, I woke up this morning to a few inches of snow. It's uh, Winter is here in Northeast Ohio already uh, overnight. We had uh, heavy storms during the week, lost power for about uh, 14 hours during the week, and now we're experiencing winter. So we went from summer to winter all in a week. That's pretty much the Midwest for you here in the United States. Uh, this this week we've got, uh, we finally got some Bigfoot news, sort of. We uh, also will talk a lot about UFOs and space tonight. So if you're a a UFO buff and you like space, this is going to be a great show for you tonight. And, you know, I was thinking about it. It's uh, November 17th, and I realized I better get to work uh, pretty quickly on the top 10 paranormal news stories of 2020. i got to figure out what I'm going to do this year as far as a, a format is concerned. Some years... Uh, I'll release uh, two stories a week, and some I've done uh, three stories a week with the uh, the number, uh, I guess it would be the, the last four all in one show. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure how I'm going to do it this year. It's uh, been a really, I don't know what other word to say other than depressing, maybe horrible year of 2020. And uh, the paranormal kind of uh, largely kind of in the the background for the most part for a lot of people uh, dealing with uh, financial things and uh, a lot of other issues with this COVID-19. But we will count it down this year. I still got to figure out how I'm going to do that. Depends on the stories, depends on uh, really what we're talking about. Really a lackluster year compared to uh, last year with the, um, the Roswell thing and a lot of other zany things that happened last year. Uh, but we will count it down in some form or fashion, uh, more than likely looking at probably the last uh, three or four shows in December. So we still have a few weeks until the top 10 paranormal news stories of 2020 debuts. And my hope is it usually doesn't happen every now and again. There's a nice big story that happens in November or early December. It's extremely rare. That's Another reason why I like to count down in December is because there's really not a whole lot of stuff going on. And, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's this time of the year. It's, just, it's cold. It's blustery. People are buying things. They're not worried about, uh, you know, they're not worried about the paranormal. They're worried about uh, their Amazon 
orders and and what they're going to get for Christmas. Although this year is uh, again a little different. The entire year is a little different, and, but yet I think at the same time people want some normalcy, so they're going to continue to do what they've done in years past and hang out with the friends and family, go out to Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, try to have a traditional Christmas. I know I'm not having either one of those. Uh, not We originally planned on having uh, family over, planning on hosting Christmas this year, but that's not going to happen, uh, probably no matter what. So, yeah, it's uh, depressing. But we'll get through it together, and that's what I'm here for, to give you one hour of relief a week from all the troubles and uh strife that you might be encountering out there. Yeah, I guess uh, they're going to have to redo all those Christmas animation shows and maybe even the... Um, is it really Thanksgiving stuff? I don't think so anymore. Uh, but the the Christmas shows, they're going to have to put like masks, masks on Santa now, I think. He's going to have to wear a, a mask. And he's probably going to be prohibited from distributing uh, toys to certain children in certain countries due to uh, having to wait... 14 days to get into those countries. It's complicated stuff now. Uh, but anyway, came here for the paranormal news, and we're going to jump right into cryptid news this week. And I mentioned at the top of the show, Bigfoot is in the news. Well, sort of. Uh, it's been a very quiet year for Bigfoot. Uh, I don't know what's going on with the, the big guy or what's maybe he's just hiding out. Uh, the COVID-19 was really the only thing that really mentioned Bigfoot because you know, he's the social distancing champion. I know that's so old. Um, yeah, he used to be the hide-and-seek champion. Now he's the social distancing champion. But, yeah, we haven't heard any actual stories of sightings or, or anything drama-related to Bigfoot this year. Uh, but one of the biggest stories of the year took shape over the last week, and it uh, ends up uh, just a couple of days ago with uh, with a happy ending toward the the end of last week. And it's uh, actually it's this is the type of story I've kind of ignored uh, pretty much over the last year, couple of years actually, that I've seen these stories pop up. I, I tend to sidestep these because it's really not uh, it's not really deep paranormal stuff. Like I talk about deep paranormal stuff on this show. But anyway, it's not really something that's uh, I'm going to wedge into a show unless it's uh, really nothing going on that week. But really, the more I think about it and I was thinking about this story, I kind of put it on my tentative list of, of stories that I wanted to cover this week. But the more I thought about it, it's this is becoming quite a strange trend that's been occurring over the course of the last few years. And that trend is stolen Bigfoot statues so last year a bigfoot statue was stolen from a beaver township ohio business who also suffered the loss of a bigfoot family of statues in 2017 also last year an eight-foot statue was stolen outside of a florida mattress store another one was snatched from the front lawn of a sand springs oklahoma woman's home and in november of last year in front of the uh, Mountaineer Landscaping Company in North Carolina. Well, those are all pretty big stories, uh, regional stories. And that's just uh, just a few. Another one went missing from Mattress Monsters in Boynton Beach, Florida in October of last year. So there's a whole bunch of, of these thefts 
And those are just the big ones. There's a lot of a lot more. It's just it's weird. I guess people steal all kinds of statues, but Bigfoot statues, and a lot of those that I mentioned are, are different. Some of them are the same ones you see in those magazines, the very uh, typical Bigfoot statues. Some of these are one-of-a-kind type of things. And I think about half of those were actually discovered. Now, earlier this year, a six-foot-tall statue was snatched from the front yard of an anthropology professor at UMass in Brimfield, Massachusetts. And another one was reportedly stolen from a Brightwood, Oregon home. I think that was in March. And uh, But the biggest one of the year, the biggest Bigfoot stolen statue story of the year, I guess, comes from California. Last Monday, November 9th, a wooden statue of Bigfoot was reportedly stolen from in front of the Bigfoot Discovery Museum in Felton, California, sometime between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. Also stolen was a statue of a bear, but nobody cared about the bear, apparently. It was all about the Bigfoot, even though it was like a four-and-a-half-foot-tall statue, not a very big statue. Uh, the story gained a lot of traction from many large news sources and uh, was even bigger of a story when authorities finally located the statue on Thursday morning. Uh, Scotts Valley Police Department officers discovered a, quote, suspicious figure on the side of the road near Glen Canyon and Green Hills Road. And I actually have a picture of that. When they rolled up, Bigfoot was just chilling there on the side of the road. Kind of cool. Surprised nobody stole it for a second time, to be honest with you. But uh, apparently they people just dumped it off. And probably because the story uh, was was pretty popular and a lot of people were looking for this this thing. California, news travels fast about everything. And uh, like I said, this was a regional story. It got a lot of traction throughout uh, the paranormal as well as throughout the mainstream media. I was pretty amazed at how many news outlets were talking about this thing. It was uh, kind of amazing to see the amount of people that were talking about a stolen statue. Uh, again, it happens quite a bit. And the figure was um, snatched up again. I guess the police department loaded it up and brought it back to the museum. So the Bigfoot Discovery Museum has its, uh, has its Bigfoot back. It's a, it's a feel-good story, I guess, if you ever have one in the paranormal. Let's see. Here's the tweet. I guess a tweet at the uh, police department. And they took a little... Snapshot there in front of the museum with a little Bigfoot. He's not very big. He's not a, a big Bigfoot. He's a little big Bigfoot. A little Bigfoot? Something like that. But uh, he's back. And the uh, Bigfoot Discovery Museum, it opened back in 2004. But uh, due to COVID-19, it's currently closed. That's why nobody really noticed that it was missing in the middle of the afternoon. Keep your paws off of other people's stuff. Don't steal things. Uh, but I'm glad that the story got some popularity, and it's probably what led to the uh, Bigfoot being dumped. I know in, in the past, we've seen some of these stories get pretty big, and the uh, the Bigfoot is rediscovered or turned back in. Uh, so maybe you get uh, enough popularity of these stories, and people feel that pressure, and they want to—they uh, don't want to get caught, I guess, because that's— 
wants to go to jail over stealing a Bigfoot statue. Kind of embarrassing. It's pretty low in the pecking order in prison, I think, uh, for those people who steal Bigfoot statues. I don't think you're going to get in the front of the lunch line with that. And uh, I'll do the throw this uh, link in the chat. My, my gosh, all you have to do is type in Bigfoot right now and click on news on, on Google, and you will definitely read about this story. It's uh, t- the biggest Bigfoot story of the year by far uh, with the amount of people that are covering that story. And one last thing here in cryptid news, pretty boring week in the week of uh, for the week of cryptid news. Uh, but I want to re-mention a story that I talked about. Is that is that a word, re-mention? Yeah, mention again. Uh, the alligator Rob story last week that I talked about, he's uh, in a fight to uh, have enough money to have heart surgery. He doesn't have health insurance. Uh, Bigfoot wrangling doesn't really pay the bills very well, and there's not really a whole lot of health insurers that's going to cover you for wrestling alligators. Uh, the alligator trapper, uh, trapper, captured Chance the Snapper. That's a pretty tough sentence to say. Try repeating that ten times fast. The alligator trapper captured Chance the Snapper last year in Chicago. Uh, Not only captured the alligator, but he also captured the hearts of many in the Windy City. And uh, very big story, one of the biggest stories of Chicago's year, although they had a lot of things going on there last year. But now he needs your help. And a GoFundMe site has been set up to help save Alligator Rob. Uh, but it's only collected about $41,000 of the estimated 300000 needed to not only have the surgery as well as recovery, incidental things uh, that he's going to need along the way. And obviously he's not going to be able to wrangle alligators for a little while, so he's got to pay the bills somehow. So it's been estimated about $300,000 between surgery, travel, recovery, recuperation and we're gonna buy him a stuffed alligator i think that would be you know the the nice thing to do as well uh so i've donated and i hope that you can as well rob is a genuine guy uh really really nice guy if you've ever heard him talk uh, you've seen some of his interviews very humble very quiet guy to himself and if it wasn't for his friends starting this campaign we probably would not have heard about what was going on in, in his life so uh, I've gotten uh, both of his books that he's published, the children's coloring book as well as the, uh, I guess you'd call it a young adult crocodile book. And uh, that one was autographed. Very happy to have that in my possession. And I hope Frank is, is okay, and I hope that everything goes smoothly for him. And if you can, please donate to the GoFundMe campaign for him. I know money is tight all around the world for for everybody uh, but we got to help each other out when we can, if we can. And I know uh, I'm in a place that I can give a little bit of money to help Frank out. And he's uh, he's a fantastic guy. So let me throw that link there in the chat room. And if you're not in the chat room, well, you didn't see the link. But don't worry. Uh, during the week, I will put out these links through Facebook, which then puts them out through Twitter. Thank heavens for technology. And you can then see these links and obviously everybody can look up stories on your own you don't need me to tell you what the links are but some of these links uh, other than obviously the gofundme campaign which is there's only one link some of these stories have multiple links and i like to chase down 
uh, either original links or links that have more information sometimes than the popular links that get passed around on paranormal news sites. Uh, sometimes those links that paranormal news sites use are, let's just say they use ones with l the least amount of information so they can make up their own kind of angle on these stories or keep them a little bit more mysterious than what they really, really are. Now, that's why I do the show, to uncover the truth behind these stories and uh, bring them to light for you to be able to see. That's the goal here anyway. And uh, that's your cryptid news for the week. Now we move into UFO news. And uh, they say everything's bigger in Texas, which is kind of sort of true. If you've ever had to drive around Texas, everything is like two hours away from each other. Uh, but it seems like you drive forever to get anywhere in Texas. The roads are longer, I think. Uh, it's a big state. And the Lone Star State has had its fair share of large-scale UFO well, I guess you could talk about strange light phenomena as well. The Marfa lights down there. Uh, over the years, uh, from the Aurora UFO crash, yeah, purported UFO crash. I'm not still a big fan of that story. Back in 1897, uh, to the which actually happened pretty close to where the story takes place, interestingly enough, now that I think about it, to the Stephenville UFO chase of 2008, which actually was pretty close to this incident as well. When you're talking about Texas, that's pretty weird to have those two incidents, as well as this next one, pretty close together. Well, another mass UFO sighting has occurred, this one on November 11th, as multiple witnesses reported seeing moving lights in the sky, uh, pretty much in an estimated 80-mile radius around the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas Metroplex. A video popped up online, filmed by Javier Estrada III, which showed four bright lights moving in a diamond shape and then moving into a straight line. Now, later on, two more lights came into view from below and seemingly followed the four other lights. Pretty mysterious, pretty spooky-looking video. Uh, the lights were seen from various aspects around the, the large neighboring Texas cities, uh, including uh, a couple that I've been to. Granbury, Texas. A friend of mine was born in Granbury. Been there a couple of times, so it's pretty cool to hear about some places that I've, I've been. But uh, looking on a map kind of put things in a little bit of perspective for me, which I'll kind of wrap the story up around in that. Uh, but yeah, they were seen from all over the place. For, they seem to be focused on southern Fort Worth, but also seen from the North Dallas area. And if you've ever been to Dallas, Fort Worth, I'm sure you've probably not forgotten it for a number of reasons. But uh, it's a pretty big, just a city, basically a city on top of a city. Imagine like two giant cities just smashed up against each other. But you can see each skyline, uh, depends on your perspective, but you can see each skyline from each area. It's pretty wacky to see two big cities kind of put together pretty close, fairly close. I mean, they're still pretty far away, but you can see it's just a, a smattering of cities. Uh, a lot of communities around there, and uh, pretty much the southern areas where a majority of these sightings occurred. Uh, on his video, uh, Javier says, quote, I was visiting family for my grandma's birthday and happened to look up. What I saw mesmerized me not memorized, but mesmerized, 
I saw glowing lights hovering real slow, and that's when I knew it was something out of the ordinary. Not scary, just crazy to look at. I do believe in extraterrestrials, so the first thing that came to mind was a UFO. As soon as I saw it, I was starstruck. It seemed so real, unquote. And I'll give you, if you've not seen the uh, video, I'll give you kind of a snapshot. It doesn't do it any justice to uh, see pictures of videos. Um, sometimes I kind of put things together so you can see the movement of things. But it's watching this is pretty interesting because it's um, uh, the movement is, is pretty interesting. These objects, how they, they kind of make these shapes. And here you see a kind of a diamond shape of these UFOs. And uh, these objects then kind of rotated seemingly and they moved to the left. And then you saw two other ones pop up from the bottom right-hand side and then kind of follow along toward these other four. So, weird. Uh, a lot of the comments of the stories and videos, uh, this is obviously on YouTube. A couple of other people have hijacked the original video or borrowed it, I guess, and you know monetized it for their, their own channels, their own YouTube channels. Uh, I, so I've read through a lot of the comments, uh, sometimes looking for inf extra information to help solve these things, as, as well as comb through newspaper reports. It wasn't a whole lot of information. I was really surprised at how little news reports there really were. Uh, seemed most of the stuff covering this was for the United Kingdom. Well, that's because uh, a particular UFO researcher got a hold of it and put the video on his website. And... Uh, there was a, a couple of radio stations, local radio stations in and around the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex area that covered this uh, story. Uh, but it wasn't really super big mainstream stuff, which is kind of shocked to see that. I uh, did a lot of digging to, to figure that out. Why? But um, not sure. Many of the comments of the stories and videos state that it could be airplanes. And I don't think so. I don't think so. I've spent a lot of time watching airplanes. I grew up at the, uh, basically at the foot of a municipal airport, so I'm pretty familiar with uh, smaller aircraft. And also, where I grew up was on the peripheral of where the uh, jets for Cleveland's Hopkins International Airport would circle around, and you could literally watch these planes be stacked up. And they used to work. Uh, on the other side of the airport, so I had to drive by the airport pretty much right underneath where the planes would land, right there on the freeway in uh, I-480. And you could literally, if you were, if you had the moment to glance over, probably when you weren't driving is a lot better because that's a really scary place to drive. Uh, you could literally see uh, about 17 to 20 some odd miles of jets stacked in the sky, literally stacked. You could see lights, uh, behind lights, behind lights of you know, approaching planes, approaching jets. So, I'm, you know, I'm pretty well versed in seeing airplanes. And I, I tell you, I just don't get the feeling that what we're looking at are airplanes. Um, not just the lights, but th the way they're moving, the formations. Uh, a light would indicate, you know, white light would indicate a jet moving toward you. And these just don't behave that way. And, you know... He's not really familiar with his areas. This is Grandma's house. 
So he's probably not familiar with the, the air traffic, but it doesn't look like jets if you watch the video. Uh, others point out that there are several military installations in and around the area, which is absolutely true. And the uh, premise is that uh, these could be helicopters. And again, I, well, I guess it could be true. But again, there's no flashing lights. There's no tail rotor lights. Uh, and from the distance that we see them, I would assume you might be able to hear engines of helicopters. Having six helicopters in the air, I, I think you'd hear it. The, the formation, again, wouldn't suggest that these were helicopters. I think they would be, if they were flying a dignitary or doing any sort of uh, maneuvers, they would have been a little bit closer in formation. But again, it, watching the video, I don't see that these are aircraft at all. Which, you know, when you toss out those explanations, uh, to me, you know, I, I only have three other possible explanations. One, which I guess, well, I'll throw out the most outlandish one of the three, and that would be that it, these are definitely UFOs. Unidentified flying objects, uh, we would assume, would be from alien origin. Yes, I know, UFO just means unidentified. doesn't mean that it's an alien aircraft. Uh, but it's generally accepted that UFO tends to mean uh, an aircraft of intelligent design that's not from the uh, uh, United States here. So, yeah, so we eliminate that one. And I say, uh, again, outlandish since there's a possibility, but I think the two other possibilities are greater. So I'm not discounting the possibility of UFOs, be it... Uh, alien spacecraft or maybe uh, craft that we're not aware of, maybe spy satellites or a spy craft that just somehow made it to the from the Texas Gulf Coast all the way up to the DFW area. Probably not likely. Um, and originally when I watched this video, I have to say that um, I was really thinking initially that these were drones. And a lot of people have also said uh, drones and you know to me that's the knee-jerk reaction um, they seem to operate very quickly and again they fly in a formation and if you know anything about drones you can program these things and if you have multiple ones you can put them on uh, frequencies that will allow them to fly in formations or chase each other or do pretty much whatever you want them to do granted those cost a lot of money uh, but again, uh, one of the witnesses, and there's other videos other than this one, so that's why I know it's not, probably not a fake. It would have to be pretty elaborate, but we've seen that before with the, say, the Jerusalem UFO videos back in, uh, gosh, what was that, 2008? Uh, that was a series of videos that were hoaxed, made to look like various vantage points of the same event. Uh, I don't think this is the case. I, I think these are uh, I've only seen two videos, but I've seen other pictures. Not sure if the pictures are the same thing. I think sometimes people see other things and then they want to be a part of the the main story. But the other video uh, definitely is not a uh, is definitely not a drone. To me, it looks more like a Chinese lantern floating by. And then I started reading other comments about Chinese lanterns, and there's some pretty whenever you use Chinese lantern, it's kind of like swamp gas from the 1940s to the, you know, on to the 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, people get upset when you say swamp gas about trying to explain UFOs. It's 
probably not likely. Uh, but Chinese lanterns, I would say, are a very big explanation for UFOs. I've seen quite a few Chinese lanterns myself. I've watched them. I've actually chased them in, in my car. Uh, I've taken quite a few pictures of them, uh, observed them, watched how they move through the sky, uh, and have actually chased down a few MUFON reports that turned out to be ones that I've seen that I had to call them or let them know that, hey, um, I observed these Chinese lanterns on this date at this time moving in this direction. So that's what you guys got. Um, but those witnesses on these uh, comments, on these videos, and some of the stories, they seem to be the minority. And again, nobody wanted to believe them and their statements. Uh, although their statements seem to be pretty credible, people have said, no, it can't be Chinese lanterns. They're, these are intelligent the way they move. But, uh, you know, the more I watch the videos, you know, the more I started thinking that, you know what, maybe this is more of a possibility than drones, the way these lights are moving. And I know from this particular video, the main video that's out there, uh, the lights seem to move in a pattern of a diamond shaped, and they look like they're rotating and they look like they're then getting in a line and moving in one direction. Um, but you have to remember that that's just the perspective of this individual camera that's aiming in this direction. And Chinese lanterns will seemingly fly in formation. You know, when they're released together, uh, they're going to move up into the sky. They're going to gain a little bit of elevation. And eventually, they kind of top out from the temperature wherever the uh, once the the wind takes away their ability to elevate and a lot of it's got a lot to do with temperature and time of day and um, humidity there's a lot of factors that that go into how high a chinese lantern is going to go the, the design of it and the how big the candle is and um, the capacity of the hot air but there's a lot of things uh, most of the chinese lanterns i see don't fly up very high uh, but in hot weather they can fly a lot higher uh, warm warmer air they can fly a lot higher. And I think what we're seeing in this video, especially when you watch, you see two other ones go up in the air. I'm pretty sure that that's just them being launched. And yeah, the argument could be said for drones at the same time. But uh, again, drones tend to have strobes. Drones tend to be more mechanical in their motion. If you've watched drones fly uh, and they tend to stop and hover at times. Not always, uh, but these don't seem mechanical. They just seem like they're they're moving with the wind and the way they're gaining elevation, they're moving in a straight line. And, you know, the drone thing. So let's talk about the drone possibility. Well, the more I thought about it, the possibility is, is lowered. Since, again, there was military ex, uh, installations in the area. The one, one of the videos was uh, filmed literally near the back gates of an installation. So probably not going to be drones. Whoever's flying drones near a military uh, installation, that would have been discovered very quickly. Yeah, it would have been shut down very fast. Um, yeah, and then you have to consider an 80-mile radius. So people reported seeing these lights in and around the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. Now, if these were drones... Uh, you're not going to see them that far away. And drones don't really far, fly that far. 
you know, at least the, the ones you can get off the shelf or order, uh, the ones that are going to cost you less than a few thousand dollars, you're not going to be able to fly them through a major metropolitan area like that. Uh, because, again, they were seen from South Fort Worth all the way to northern Dallas. So that means that somebody would have had to have flown this pretty much through airspace of, I think uh, I estimated, three or four different airports. That's not going to happen. And again, drones aren't going to fly that far, two, three hours away. So that's why I started thinking this cannot be drones. But Chinese lanterns would flow with the wind. And if you look at the pathway, now I don't have the time stamps of these videos, and I don't know when these witnesses actually seen them. But from the cities listed, if you kind of estimate when the times were, uh, it flows with where the wind would have gone during that exact time of day, or in the evening, I should say. Uh, the wind wasn't very strong, but uh, once you get aloft like that, the winds increase. And again, when you have a flame on a candle uh, with uh, the paper, uh, it's going to cause movement anyway. So I think that's what you're seeing, Chinese lanterns. And if they would have flown, you know, they don't fly very far, you know, I'm sure about 100 miles is as far as you're going to get on one of those things, if that, uh, which these didn't even fly that far. I think the furthest distance was like 72 miles, the way an object would fly, estimated uh, using Google software. So it could have explained that. Again, it might not have flown that far, just that person saw it. So I would say Channing's Lanterns. But again, I'm not saying it's definitively Chinese lanterns. Um, but again, that would explain why so many different people in different areas would spot these lights and why they were not reported by aircraft or on radar. They weren't that high. Uh, they weren't solid, large solid objects like a drone. Uh, they weren't creating any radio interference or anything like that. Uh, and uh, yeah, people get busted pretty quick because these things emit uh, airports are constantly not just on the physical lookout, but they can they know when people are using them with the radio interference. So you're not going to get away with it. Um, that's why I think it's Chinese lanterns. But yeah, I was hoping the story would get a little bit uh, bigger. But again, only a handful of, of people have talked about it. I've combed through Twitter, I've combed through Facebook, I've not heard any updates on this at all. Uh, but my guess would be Chinese lanterns. And let me throw that link to, uh, I've got like five links here. I'll do one of the local news talk stations, the 1290 AM station. Uh, I can't remember. That's It's near, I think it's closer to Dallas area, but I'll throw that link in the chat room. And again, don't worry. If you're not in chat and you can't get these links, I will be putting them out through Facebook and through Twitter. Again, that's uh, facebook.com forward slash Paranews Insider and Twitter would be at Paranews Insider. So you'll be able to uh, follow these stories along uh, during the week. And don't worry, I don't shove all these things out all at the same time. I do pretty much once, well, uh, one story a day. So once a day, I'm putting out one story. And all right, enough of, uh, enough of Dallas-Fort Worth. Let's go to Mexico. Why not? Love to go to Mexico right now. Uh, so the story of this next, or I should say the headline of this next story, 
a little bit misleading. No, no, it's completely misleading. Not a little bit. Uh, the article is titled, quote, There's no explanation for this weird glowing ball hovering over a forest in Mexico. Unquote. That's not the best headline I've ever seen. Uh, but again, it's also very misleading. Uh, the video is out of Guadalajara, Mexico, and shows what appears to be a floating ball of light hovering in front of trees in a forest. The ball of light seems to be getting brighter and dimmer over the three-minute-plus-long video, which is amazing to see any kind of UFO video last that long. Uh, the camera is zoomed way in. You can see the uh, um, the heat, you know, the air kind of moving from the heat and all that. Um, and then they zoom out. So you can tell, you know, it's zoomed way in. They're pretty far away. And they, again, they said there's no explanation, but I'd say one of the most likely explanations for this is something that's in the tree that is reflecting light. These are shot during the day, uh, so it's probably reflecting sunlight in some form or fashion. And interestingly, uh, the YouTube channel where this video originated Alberto Ignacio Alejo Ebarra, that's the channel. Uh, you can look it up yourself. It contains nothing but UFO videos of various types, including a bunch of these glowing objects hanging out in the trees. And the big problem I have, and I watch these videos, yeah, the problem I have is, is these glowing objects are doing just that. They're just hanging out in trees. They're not flying around. They're not flying above trees. They're not going down between trees. They're not going behind trees. They're just hanging out in the trees. And they're always shot from an extremely far distance. And the current video, if you watch it, you know any um, Spanish at all, uh, during the commentary, during one of the videos, uh, they're talking about so a lot of other things, cars and different things, but... They also talk about the objects having been observed moving. Well, we don't see any movement in any of the videos, and they're on that, that particular object for over three minutes, and we don't see it move, other than a little bit of movement when the wind blows. And you can tell by watching uh, branches around the object, you can tell that it's, it seems like it's attached to the tree. So I'm not sure why they would say there's no explanation, because it seems pretty simple to me. Um, I would say whatever's in the trees is reflecting light or possibly even a, I would say a, a light source, but probably a reflective light source somehow. I mean, gosh, who knows? Maybe they've just put aluminum foil up there for all we know. It could be something that simple uh, and film from a distance. So even when you're able to zoom in, you still can't discern what the object is. And I think that's the point here that they've uh, gone and, and put this object as far away as, as possible. There's, like I said, there's like four or five different videos of this, and some of the other videos are of these UFOs are, are pretty corny as well, but you can check out Alberto Ignacio Alejo Ibarra's YouTube channel for yourself, and you can judge that. But uh, this uh, particular video was picked up, and it's all over my uh, my Google News and different sources. I've, I've seen it on a bunch of different paranormal sites, and People are making a bigger mystery out of out of something that I don't think is a big mystery myself. Uh, and we've reached the point of the show that uh, – so we're talking about extraterrestrials, potential 
UFOs here. And I want to give uh, the book of the week, but I also, you know, I, I tend to do a book of the week. 99% of these books are books that I've actually read. I can speak to, I can say that they actually provide value to anybody reading them who is interested in the paranormal, wants to be a paranormal researcher or investigator. Uh, and I can vouch for it because I've actually read those books. But uh, this week, I want to give some suggested reading on these topics uh, about belief in potential UFOs, as well as uh, you know a little bit of research behind those as well, uh, in addition to an actual book of the week. And uh, a lot of the books of the week are, are historical, so they go back a long ways, you know, 60s, 50s, uh, 80s. That was so long ago, the 1980s. Sheesh, so much has changed. But uh, I know there's a lot of new work out there that, that people should read or look at. Uh, new ideas, new thoughts, new themes. And, uh, you know, I don't want to lose that, the, the new ideas and information in it. And I, again, I can't speak to those because I haven't read all these books yet, although I have a very large Christmas list put together of, of books, including some UFO stuff. And one book I want to mention is called They Are Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Saucers. And that's written by Sarah Scholes, who uh, she's not a UFO researcher. She's not a UFO investigator, not really even too much of a UFO believer, just a person gathering information on sightings, first-person experiences. And it's a, kind of an anthropological look at the UFO community. So it's kind of uh, from an outside observer's look at the UFO community, which sometimes is a refreshing perspective because we tend to read books uh, written on UFO sightings, that are written by UFO researchers. So we tend to not really maybe get the entire picture. We're only getting what they want to believe. And so you're being forced to believe what somebody else believes. And that can be a dangerous thing sometimes. It can be a dangerous road to travel down. So now we're reading from an outside perspective. And I think this is a really fresh vantage point to have as a UFO researcher, reading what other people think about what we're doing. And uh, this book is uh, definitely on my list. Uh, I think it's a really interesting view to look at the UFO culture and why we believe what we believe from, uh, you know, our perspective, from the perspective of somebody on the outside. So they are already here, UFO culture and why we see saucers. Uh, there's a, well, I guess a hardcover. It's about 20 bucks. You can get them used for about $18. You get them cheaper than that. The book came out this year, March 3rd. Of 2020 so it's a it's a newer book and it's uh, 304 pages so you're gonna get your money's worth on that it's uh, got a pretty good rating here on Amazon when I'm looking at it here it's uh, 39 ratings and it's uh, uh, three four five uh, four and a half I'm sorry 4.4 out of five stars it's a pretty good uh, book I would say it's on my list for me to read and hopefully to get if i don't get it for christmas i'm gonna probably buy it anyway but not just that one but another book that i want to talk about this one is even higher on my list it's called contact paradox the challenging our assumptions and the search for extraterrestrial intelligence 
And that book came out January 21st of this year. Uh, it's also available uh, hardcover, uh, Kindle, paperback, audio CD. Uh, so you can get it in various formats. Ah, I can't, I can't drive and listen to somebody talk about a book. Just, I can't do that. I gotta read. I gotta have a book in my hands. Uh, but the contact paradox, uh, challenging our assumptions in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, it's a really interesting concept. Really interesting. Uh, I've read uh, read an article about this when this book first launched earlier this year, and and I kind of. Uh, uh, I read, I think it was like in March or April, I read a review of this book, and I was kind of fascinated by it. And since then, it's been on my list to buy, and I just never got around to it. But there's a lot of interesting concepts about this book that we don't tend to think about. Um, one big thing is uh, if we're going to talk about contacting extraterrestrial intelligence or intelligent life that may be more intelligent than we are, have you really thought about, you know, other than using math, you know, we assume that math is a, a communication tool that everybody understands. Well, we're making that assumption. You know, maybe math is just an elementary way of communication and maybe they're more advanced than we are. Uh, have we even made attempts to figure out how to communicate with animals, which are other creatures here on our own planet? Now, I know... Uh, I read, uh, I think I saw an article on a a cat app that when your cat meows, it uh, interprets it into language. I think that's just, I don't think that's real. I think it's just random word generator personally. But, you know, think about it. Dolphins are said to be very intelligent. We've, we've talked uh, some of the great apes sign language. So we're able to communicate with some apes. Uh, but dolphins, if you've ever seen... Uh, a TV show, Sequest. Uh, Roy Scheider Sh- was in that a long time ago. I think it was the, was it the 90s. Sequest DSV. It's on like three years. Uh, they had a dolphin that they had this little contraption. And when he would make noise, it would, it would uh, change it into language. We can understand. You know, these are the kind of things that we need to think about. We're going to contact or... We're making the attempt to contact. This book focuses on SETI, so the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. That's why, uh, you know, it's it's kind of hypothesizing what we need to do and what would happen if we did it. And I really enjoy those kind of books. I think that's really uh, we need to think about these. We need to theorize. We need to hypothesize. We need to really think about how we're going to communicate. We need to work on things of being able to communicate with uh, creatures that we already have here on this planet because, you know, maybe if we get that uh, under our belt, maybe uh, maybe dolphins, for example, maybe intelligent creatures out there are cetaceans or more like water creatures. And if we make this attempt to communicate with whales and dolphins here on our own planet, maybe that would help us with these intelligent uh, things from another planet, maybe just throwing that out there uh, but there's a lot of assumptions that we have uh, about the search for extraterrestrial life that this book covers so again the contact paradox challenging our assumptions of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence by keith cooper came out earlier this year 2020 it's uh also a pretty decent sized book 336 pages and it's on my christmas list so if i don't get it 
from my wife. Uh, maybe you can get it for me. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but that's not the book of the week. The book of the week this week, The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry by J. Allen Hynek. And uh, I read this book a number of years ago. I was at a conference. I think I was speaking on ghosts or maybe it was cryptids. I forget. Uh, but I was uh, in a booth next to a guy selling books and he had this book and he'd already sold it to somebody. But the guy was still there and he, went, he didn't want to carry it around with him. So I left it there, but I ended up kind of stealing it and I read through it. Uh, very, very good book. I don't know why I never bought it, but it's uh, very expensive. I think that's probably why I didn't get it. Uh, to get it, you know, you're talking 30, 40 bucks. That's probably why I never got it. Could have got it for five bucks. I think he sold it for five dollars. Sheesh. If I'd only known, I would have outbid the guy. But um, the UFO experience, a scientific inquiry. Uh, this was published way back in, I want to say, 1972, I want to say. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, 1972. But this book is a newer edition. It was uh, reissued in 1998. I don't know if you can get the older ones. Uh, but anything Heineck wrote is, is very interesting. And this one is uh, kind of, I don't want to say about the UFO cases he investigated. It's more or less about the the way the Air Force wanted to dismiss things uh, and a lot of science about explaining UFO sightings. It's not about dismissal. It's more about how to investigate or investigating these claims that happened back when he was investigating. So the UFO Experience, a Scientific Inquiry by J. Allen Honig is our book of the week this week. And we also have The Contact Paradox, Challenging Our Assumptions in the Search for Extraterrestrial extraterrestrial intelligence by keith cooper as well as they are already here ufo car culture and why we see saucers by sarah skulls a lot of tongue twisters tonight not sure why uh, those are our, our books extra books and from there we're going to go to uh, outer space so get in your suits uh, strap into your seats and the countdown begins and you know what? I'm not sure why. I'm really getting the feeling that uh, people are not really excited about this. Um, now, I'd be excited. I, I don't think that Eric Altman is having a Bigfoot adventure next year. There's a question in the chat. Uh, I, I think originally he was planning on having one, but I don't think it's going to happen now uh, with COVID and everything else that's going on. Ah, could sure use that break, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I, I don't think people are excited about what happened on Sunday. It's in the news, but I just I don't know if people are just distracted by this whole COVID thing or the, the election or, or what it is here in the United States. But I was excited, very excited, live streamed this. Uh, I was at work until um, a little after 8 on Sunday, um, kind of live streamed it on my way out of work watching this. Uh, but the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket launched from pad 39A at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, headed for the International Space Station. I'm excited about that. Um, to some people, it's just another rocket launch. Uh, but to me, it's it's a very momentous occasion, I think. Now, the rocket was carrying a SpaceX Crew-1 Dragon, the company's first operational mission with the commercial crew program. Uh, so they weren't launching uh, just objects into space. These were people. 
finally, uh, astronauts being launched into space. The, the Crew Dragon spacecraft was uh, named Resilience back in September by the crew and announced by Mission Commander Michael Hopkins. The flight includes four American astronauts and one member of the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, which is uh, basically the Japanese National Aerospace and Space Agency, which is somewhat similar to NASA here in the U.S. Uh, NASA used, uh, using this uh, commercial craft, pretty much, was announced back in 2012 and was supposed to launch in 2016. But, uh, you know, anything dealing with space, uh, there's a lot of setbacks, including, obviously, COVID-19, which kind of bumped it a few months and it also limited the number of people in attendance set uh, to watch this launch. And uh, again, the launch was, I think it was supposed to happen back in March. But with COVID, pushed it to November. Uh, in addition to SpaceX, NASA is also going to be using Boeing to carry out missions and their craft as well. Uh, come on, it's a lot different than what it was when I was a kid. You know, we used, uh, we had the space shuttle program and it was something that, you know, NASA... Unfortunately, used the lowest bidder to build craft. It was uh, chosen over disposable craft, which I think was actually kind of a good idea in a way because it got captured people's attention. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the craft, you know, we lost uh, the Challenger in 1985 and, and uh, Columbia in 2003. So, you know, on very unfortunate events uh, with those kind of crafts, whereas the Disposable craft, we might not have had those issues, uh, but it would cost a lot more money in the long run, and that's what NASA was really looking at. But now they're using commercial craft, so they're just basically renting these things. Uh, it's still expensive. I mean, space flight is not cheap, uh, but it's a lot uh, cheaper than, uh, you know, especially the way SpaceX is being able to reuse parts of these crafts. Lots, a lot. Uh, a lot less expensive than, you know, NASA designing their own stuff and, and paying for it uh, out of the government's pocket or I guess out of my pocket. Uh, so it was announced in 2004 that the space shuttle would retire with missions lasting until 2011. Since then, U.S. astronauts have uh, hitched a ride on a Russian Soyuz spacecraft. You know how embarrassing that is? Our own astronauts here in the United States. You know, we were all worried about Sputnik way back when. And now here we are uh, having to hitch a ride with the Russians to get into space. But uh, the Crew-1 Dragon's flight took off Sunday uh, from, again, launch pad 39A, which is where the, uh, the Apollo 11 mission was also launched and the first and last space shuttle missions as well. So pretty historic uh, flight. And it's fully autonomous. So it's not like uh, the space shuttle flights where they had to do different things. They just they're just there for the ride. Although they do have a control pad if there's any issues. Uh, the flight will take 27 hours to link up with the space station. So uh, they got time to hang out up there. And uh, earlier this November, the International Space Station celebrated 20 years of having inhabitants aboard. And from what I've what I understand about it, there's at least 10 more years of service ahead of it. They have another contract. And boy, oh boy, what a mess that's going to be when that thing is over. It's going to have to be dismantled. And each country is responsible for the module that they put up there. Kind of weird. 
And that leads me to the last story of the night of the week that's really related to that. And that is the Kessler syndrome. And I've talked about this on the show off and on uh, for quite a while. The Kessler effect, space pollution, pretty much, where satellites and other debris uh, will limit us to travel into space in the future. It's true. It's going to happen. Uh, the key part, though, to the Kessler syndrome is having too many objects in lower Earth orbit. So this decreases the, or I should say increases the chance of collisions. Uh, a single collision could create a chain reaction that could create even more debris and continue to destroy satellites, which could leave us without our space-based technology. Imagine, uh, you know, no more... Um, being able to use uh, satellite to radio or to be able to navigate with your navigation devices. Uh, a lot of uh, cable and uh, a lot of stuff would just not work very well. Uh, weather would not be as, I mean, I know people say that weather is like 30% accurate, but it would be even worse. It would literally launch us back a hundred years if these satellites were to uh, crash and crunch and uh, just disintegrate in the atmosphere because of chain reactions. And it sounds like something out of a science fiction book uh, that, uh, you know, a single collision causing a chain reaction that would create more and more debris, which would continue to destroy more satellites, leaving us without our space technology. And ultimately, with all that debris floating around Earth, would leave us trapped here on Earth. You couldn't launch any, uh, any more... Uh, craft into space because it would have to fly through that space debris and if there's enough of it there we can't do it and we're stuck forever well maybe not forever because eventually the stuff comes down but it takes a long time in some cases some stuff's been up there for 60 years now so who knows uh, and how fitting is it that SpaceX was a part of the launch of US astronauts uh, they've also launched hundreds of these Starlink satellites with the intention of at least 42,000 more. Yikes. And currently, there are about 2,300 active satellites orbiting Earth with about 3,000 littering space. You know, low Earth orbit, mid Earth orbit, uh, just junk everywhere up there. Um, you know, you see all these stuff, from these videos from the International Space Station. You see, like, these glints of light and things floating. And people assume, oh my gosh, it's a UFO. And well, no, there's tons of space junk up there. Uh, and some of that stuff is it's pretty small, but up in space, when it reflects light, it looks a lot bigger than what it is. Uh, 3,000 satellites littering space, in addition to tons of other parts and pieces stuck in orbits for uh, different periods of time. Uh, eventually, everything comes down for the most part. It could... Uh, could take a long time. Could some of that stuff is up there for good, unless we move it, unless we uh, get a big space net and swoop it in and bring it down. So last month, the European Space Agency released its annual report on space debris, and it states that the risk of dangerous collisions is on the rise. So this uh, Kessler syndrome is uh, an ever-increasing possibility, and. As a matter of fact, in October, 
there was a close call between a defunct Russian satellite that was launched in 1989 and a spent Chinese rocket, which was launched in 2009. And these got very, very close together. There was a kind of a, a low possibility. I think it was like 10% chance that these things would collide. But if they did collide, if they got close enough, uh, could have created thousands of pieces of space junk. And that would have created a potential chain reaction, just like described by the Kessler effect. So this is an all-too-real uh, potential out there. And the more junk that we launch into space, uh, the higher possibility we have of having these accidents in space. Uh, potentially, some of these larger pieces could come down and, and could injure people. Uh, not likely uh, due to the, the fact that the Earth is mostly water, but there's that potential. Uh, but also, you know, losing our technology, we've become pretty reliant upon our satellites. And, uh, you know, we lose a lot of things. Uh, pretty quickly, and it would be very hard for us to to adapt. I mean, I remember driving without satellites with the uh, talking things. I, I don't know. I used to use maps. It wouldn't bother me a bit, but uh, it's going to send us back if it if this does happen. It's very dangerous, and again, it could lead us down the road to being trapped on our own planet. Uh, how scary would that be? Not being able to ever launch. Uh, another craft into space to, to ever go back to the moon, to ever travel to Mars, to be able to get off this Earth that we're destroying slowly. Uh, but that's our news tonight. Got to end that on an upbeat. Wait, that's not very upbeat. But anyway, keep you up at night, I guess. Um, hopefully you have a good week, and I will see you next week but for now keep your eyes in the skies your ears in the woods the hair standing on the back of your neck and always keep your mind slightly ajar and above all else come on you know it don't stop believing for the paranormal news insider this is dr brian d parsons reporting <laughs>